Good morning. I'm reading from a variety of passages today in the books of Genesis, 1 Corinthians, and Romans. Um, You can either practice your Bible lookup skills or the page numbers are here in the worship guide. Um, I'll be starting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And on to Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 to 9, and then verses 15 to 23. Then Yahweh God formed the man from dust of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, Yahweh God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 15. Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then Yahweh God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. On to 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, starting with um, verses 4 to 11, and then on to 27 to 31. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And on to verse 27. Now, 
You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then you can flip back to the book of Romans, back one book to um, chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have little ones first grade and under who would like to go for our children's worship, Miss Brittany will walk them across the way. But for those who are left behind, the remnant, um, could you tell me what this is? What's that? It's a butter knife. That is correct. Um, How do you know? Yeah, it's apparent. It's not. Sh- it's not sharp. That's right. It'd be pretty hard to cut myself with this, right? Um, what What's its job? What does a butter knife do? Cuts butter. What else, Joe? Yeah, spreads butter. Spreads other similar condiments. So you can look at this thing, and you can tell what it is, right? You can tell its form by observation. But then, because it's made by a halfway decent craftsman, you can look at the thing and then tell what its purpose is, what its end goal is. To use the, the, the Greek philosophical term, you, can, you know it's telos, it's, its end. You can see the end of the thing by looking at the thing. Its form shows you its purpose. Its being shows you what it should be doing. Maybe I should ask the men in particular this. Can a butter knife be used as a screwdriver? It certainly can in some circumstances. But I would bet that when the knife is being used as a screwdriver, it feels as though it's falling far short of what it was intended for. I mean, it's still a butter knife. That's what it was made for. And you can see its purpose by looking at its form, its being. But it's not experiencing what it was made for. You and I are the same way. What are you? You're an image of God. What does that mean? It means that you are patterned after God, that there's something of God in your very makeup. But just like the butter knife, your why follows from your what. 
You are an image of God. Therefore, we can know why you exist. And in the last weeks, we have summed that up in two ways. Humans were made for dominion and glory. So this is why humans were created. We were created for dominion and glory. First, what is this dominion you were made for? God created you to bring his will to bear within your sphere of influence. If I was going to pose that as a question, the question would be, how can you make your world more like heaven? So that's the first aspect of your why, what you are to be doing flowing from your what. But then second, glory. How are you made for glory? God created you to reflect the selfless virtue of Christ at all times. If I was going to pose that as a question, it would be, how can you live and love like Jesus where you are? So if a butter knife was made to spread condiments and butter, you were made for dominion and glory. Your why flows from your what. But the problem with that idea is in the execution. I mean, dominion and glory are really big, extravagant ideas. But you and I, I mean, we change diapers. We review spreadsheets. We cut the grass. We go to school. We sell services and products. We spend 40 hours plus each week doing all these things that don't feel or sound like dominion or glory. So a Christian can know intellectually their what and their why, but then still feel like a butter knife being used as a screwdriver. I mean, you get the job done, but something doesn't feel right. You don't feel like you're achieving what God put you here for. You find yourself longing for more significance, more purpose, more impact. And so Christians, many of you begin to wonder, what is my calling? I mean, I know the what, I know the why, but why me? Why am I here? Have I missed what God has called and equipped me for? If I could just discover my calling, then I'd really experience the dominion and the glory that he has promised me. So here's the big question. How can you know your calling? The way that God has specifically equipped you to embody his dominion and glory. And here is my answer. With prayer, time, and help, you can discern your calling as an image bearer. With prayer, time, and help, you can discern your calling as an image bearer. And that's what we're going to dig in today. We're going to look at how you discern that. But before we do, let me first begin with some quick preliminary comments about this idea of calling. First, calling is not singular or permanent, but it is multifaceted and occasionally changing. So what do I mean mean when I say that calling is not uh, singular or uh, permanent, but it's actually a, a multifaceted thing? So when I was 16 years old, God was really gracious to me that he revealed me, this to me at, at such a, a young age. I don't think that's super normal. But when I was 16 years old, God called me to preach. I knew that he wanted me occupationally to preach. Is that calling as a preacher the only way that I'm called to embody the dominion and glory of God? No, not at all. I was also called by God to be a husband to Megan, to be a father to my children, and the list goes on. Calling is not singular, it is multi 
faceted. So don't think that you're going to find this one big defining activity that's going to be the end of your life, the telos of your life, the thing that makes you complete. Calling just doesn't work that way. It's not singular. It's multifaceted. But it's also not permanent. And it's occasionally changing. So yeah, when I was 16, God called me to preach. But at the age of 21, he refined that call, and I knew that he wanted me to be a pastor. Then at the age of 27, he refined it even more when he called me to be the pastor of this church. And God is fully within his rights to say, okay, now I want you to to no longer be a pastor. Or I want you to be a pastor somewhere else. Neither of those things is my desire But calling is not permanent. It changes occasionally as our life progresses and as God directs us in other ways. Also, one day, either Megan and I are going to die. It's going to happen, probably won't be at the same time. And then our calling in relation to one another will also change. So here's a second comment about that calling. Our calling uh, always has something to do with serving God or others but it may not sound like ministry, and that's okay. You know, being a a, a husband to Megan is a very joyful thing, but it means serving her. And when that call changes one day, that will be painful. If God ever called me away from this church one day, that would be painful because in calling, we're kind of knit together with one another because what are we doing? We're laying down our lives for each other. But it doesn't always look like ministry. So when we see Adam and Eve in the garden... When their calling is given to them, notice that their calling is all about their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, and their relationship with the world around them. Their calling, even in that first day, is about serving God and others, and it doesn't sound anything like ordained ministry. So look again, Genesis 2. We are going to look at all these texts Amy graciously read for us. Genesis 2, I want to look at verses 15 through 25. Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then Yahweh God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Adam had a calling to serve God by caring for the garden, to take care of the created order. And his wife had a calling to assist him in his garden work, to serve her husband and to serve God, and in so doing, to care for the created order. You and I are no different. You too are an image bearer made with the purpose of dominion and glory. And the way that you will embody dominion and glory in your life, maybe, I mean, it might, but probably won't mean ordained ministry. For some of you, I hope it does. But that's not only okay, that's normal. Adam, the first man, the first image bearer, 
was a farmer and a husband. That was the way that he was to make the earth more like heaven. That was the environment in which he was to display the selfless virtue of God. So you can be a farmer to the glory of God. You can be a mother to the glory of God. You can be an engineer to the glory of God. You can be a student to the glory of God. You can be a retiree to the glory of God. In fact, this is the norm. So now a third comment on calling. Most people's callings are very ordinary, uh, which we should know to expect from God. Most people's callings are very ordinary, which we should know to expect from God. So we live in the age of the sizzle reel and 140 characters. You know, everybody wants to make a stir, to be noticed, to be exciting, to be a celebrity. That's never been the way of Yahweh. To be an image bearer, to live your life as one who reflects Yahweh means that nobody sees you. When they look at you, they see him. And so some of the most ordinary uh, depictions of calling in Scripture are the ones that move me the most because a lot of the time they're frankly kind of domestic. Let me read one. I cut a bunch of these for time, but this, I had to pick one. So Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. Listen to this description of calling. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to Yahweh on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare." What amazes me about this command in Jeremiah 29 is that it's given to the people of Judah while they're in captivity. (laughs) This was God's grand plan for them while they lived in Babylon. So when someone says, what's a Christian to do living in the United States of America? Look at the degradation. How does God respond? Build a house. Plant a garden. Enjoy those vegetables. Raise children to be followers of Jesus and to be good citizens. Encourage marriage, have kids, disciple those kids, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God. This is calling. It's very ordinary and it's beautiful. And it sounds a lot like the mandate that God gave to Adam in the garden and then again to Noah in Genesis 9. God almost sounds like a broken record. Be fruitful and multiply. Spread my glory in the world. So those are my preliminary comments on calling. So calling is not singular. It's multifaceted. Calling is not permanent, it's occasionally changing. And while it may feel ordinary to you, it may not be ordained ministry, your calling will always be about serving God and serving others. So with those preliminary thoughts in mind, how can you know what God has called you to do? Or maybe you know already, how can you help someone else discern God's call in their lives? You know, somebody that you're mentoring. Maybe one of your children or one of your grandchildren, someone else in your family. How can you help them to discern God's will for their life? Well, you're not going to learn it overnight. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take time. It's going to take the help of other Christians. Look at it this way. So I, I started preaching at the age of 14. It took me two years of that before I knew that God wanted me to preach occupationally. Then after five years of regularly preaching, really quite often, 
Then I started to realize, oh, he wants me to be a pastor. Then it took four more years before I realized he wanted me to be a Presbyterian pastor. You see, finding your calling takes time. It takes trial and error, making mistakes, messing things up, and lots and lots of prayer and lots and lots of input from other Christians who know you, other Christians whom you can trust. But what's the meat of the act? I mean, that could be a whole other sermon about the time and prayer and input from other Christians that it takes. But as all that is going on, what does the discernment process look like? So to discern your calling, you need to look at five different things. First, look at the one in whose image you're made. You want to know your calling? You have to start by looking at the one in whose image you're made. John Calvin put it this way. It's in the front of your worship guide. I've got a slide too. He said this. He said, man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. It is by knowing God, which means worshiping God, meditating on God as he's revealed in the scriptures, it's by knowing him that we get a better view of ourselves. So when we see God, I say this often in our liturgy, when we see God, we often see our sin, yes. But we also see the characteristics of him that he wants to replicate in us. When we see him, we see the passions of his heart that he wants to replicate in us. And that reflection on the Spirit, or on God, empowers us by the Spirit to answer those two image-bearing questions. So let's review those two questions again. So we have these two questions of dominion. First, how can you make your world more like heaven? How can you make your world more like heaven if you don't know God? If you don't know what he is like? Heaven is the place where he lives. Heaven is the place where he dwells. When you hear that question, how can I make the world more like heaven? Unbelievers talk that way. And they seek to make a a more just society, a a more merciful society. But it's a godless utopia, right? We have to know the one who reigns in heaven if we are to bring his reign to earth. And a big part of that is declaring Jesus as Lord. So we have to begin with knowing the one in whose image we're made. Otherwise, we can't bring about his will on earth. The second question is, how can you live and love like Jesus where you are? are. How can you know the selfless virtue of Jesus if you are not simmering in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? These four books that tell us who Jesus is. How can you live and love like Jesus if you are not attuned to his heart? Again, the unbelieving world would probably say, yes, we should all live and love like Jesus. But they don't know Jesus. And Jesus, as he is depicted in the Bible, is both the one who draws little children near, who never breaks a bruised reed. He also carries a sword, and when he returns, the blood will rise up the sides of his horse that he rides on, right? We have to know the one in whose image we're made. Otherwise, we cannot live and love like Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we see God? How do we see his reign and his dominion? How do we see his selfless virtue that took him to the cross? Attend to the scriptures. Pray. Worship every week with God's people. Commune with these image bearers. Know God if you want to know yourself. If you want to know what God has called you to do, you have to know him. With prayer, time, and help, you can discern your calling as an image bearer. Start by looking at God. But second, look at your body. 
I'm not trying to be reactive or provocative or spit in the eye of the world we live in, but from a biblical perspective, your why flows from your what. You find your calling by looking at your being, and as it turns out, God made us male and female in his image. Your body tells you something about your calling, the way in which God uh, has made you to be an image bearer. So let's go back to Genesis 1. We'll look at verse 27, and then we'll jump again to chapter 2. Genesis 1:27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then Yahweh God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I'm going on to the next verse, even though it's not printed in the worship guide. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When God made humanity in his own image, he described them as being either male or female. And that gender identity was not found within the person. Rather, it was determined based upon their biology. I'm going to talk about this again in a few weeks, uh, so I'm going to keep it simple for now. There are some things men can't do. And there are some things that women can't do. In fact, God designed men for some things, and he designed women for other things. To be very specific, women can bear children, and men uh, can't. We were made to be the spiritual head of our home, the one who functions as a priest and king to the household of God. So here's my point. By observing your body, you can discern some ordinary expectations concerning calling that are not always universal. So you can look at your body and you can see some ordinary expectations concerning calling that are not always universal. So, not every woman is universally called to bear children or to be a mother. I mean, most are. It's ordinary for that to happen. I mean, the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply still continues today, but it's not a universal. It's ordinary. Likewise, it's the norm for a man to take a wife, to have a family, to provide for that family's spiritual needs. So if you're a man or a woman, maybe you're a boy or a girl just growing up, you can expect this is probably a part of your calling from God until he reveals that it isn't. Our bodies can tell us something about our calling. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. With prayer, time, and help, you can discern your calling as an image bearer. Start by looking at God, then look at your body. Third, look at your gifts. Now, the first two things are very objective. We can look at God as he's revealed in the scripture. It's pretty apparent who he is. We can look at our bodies. It's very clear what God made us to be in that regard. But this last one, knowing your gifts, is actually more difficult. It's a little more subjective as you assess what God has given you the capacity for. So let's look at those two texts in uh, Corinthians and, and Romans. Hope you put a, I put a piece of paper in there so I'd be able to flip over real quick. First, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 12, 
4 through 7, and then 27 to 31, then we'll jump back to Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, same, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And now jumping down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the, in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And I'll turn back to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of uh, one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So each of these texts mentions a short list of different spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit grants to different Christians in different measure. Gifts like prophecy, service, teaching, generosity, leadership, mercy and compassion, tongues, the list goes on. You can find other scriptures that point out other gifts as well. This is not comprehensive. And I'm not getting into the whole miracles and tongues debate today. You can ask my thoughts on that later. But here's the point. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, we talked about that last week, he comes into us and begins putting these broken images of God back together. When he comes into us, he gives each of us special capacities to serve God and to serve others. So how do you find out what your gift is? There are questionnaires you can fill out, and those are helpful for what they're worth, but I'm convinced that's not the way. It takes prayer. It takes time, and it takes help, as I've said already. Do you know why I preached the first time? It wasn't because I had some dream where God revealed to me that I should preach. It wasn't that I had some deep, burning desire to proclaim God's word. No, it was because a speech teacher of mine in high school, I was taking a speech elective, uh, who was a Christian, told me, have you ever considered preaching? I think you might be a good preacher. And I said, oh, okay, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. And then when I started preaching, I, I really wasn't that good, but uh, I was a volunteer and it became kind of a hobby for me. It wasn't like any kind of sense of like, this is my ministry I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But my family, as I was doing this, and my youth pastor kind of came alongside of me and said, you might actually be good at this if you continue. God might have gifted and called you to do that. And I said, no, I don't, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But they continued to, 
to push me and guide me. And all along the way, people affirmed the good, and they showed me uh, areas where I could grow. It was through a long time that my sense of call as a preacher and as a pastor was shaped. I'm a product of a lot of other Christians who very graciously listened to my preaching and, and, and worked with me on my preaching through the years. It takes prayer. It takes time. It takes help for us to discern what our calling is as an image bearer. So one of the most important things you can do to find your gifts is listen to the Christians who know you the best. So let's say you just have an urge to serve God or to serve someone else in some way that seems interesting or fun to you. Do it and see if God shows up. Pray and try and fail. Then pray and try and fail again and then pray and try and succeed and see how God gives you new clarity on how he has especially equipped you to embody his dominion and glory. So look at God. Look at your body. And then look at your gifts through prayer, time, and with the help of others, discern what your gifts are. But here's the last two things uh, for you to be looking at. Look at the people and places among whom God has placed you. Look at the people and places among whom God has placed you. So by looking at God and your body and your gifts, you can start to get a decent idea of your calling, of your, your basic makeup and temperament and gifting. But then you have to look at where God has put you. Where and among whom did God put Adam, for instance? I'm jumping back to Genesis 2. I didn't leave my bookmark in there. So I've got to turn a few pages. Genesis 2, verses 7 through 9, and then 15. Then Yahweh God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground Yahweh God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. Yahweh God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So where did God put Adam? Garden, thank you. Thank you very much. That's right. God put Adam in the garden. And his calling was wrapped up with that place. What else did God put there? He put some trees there. He put some animals there. Eventually he put a woman there. And his calling was wrapped up with all of them as well. So you have to look at the people and places around you so that you can see the needs Remember, our calling is always wrapped up with serving God and serving others. So regardless of who you are and who God is and the gifts you've been given, how can you serve God and people where you are? So again, let's look at those two questions of dominion and glory. How can you make your world more like heaven? You have to be able to look at the world where you live and look at the people in the world where you live and see where it's not like heaven. You who know God and who know the gospel, look and see where are the needs where I can serve. And then in terms of calling, how can you live in love like Jesus? You have to see where are the people who need Christ, who need this love, who need this truth. We have to know the needs around us. So to answer answer these questions, we've got to look at the people and places around us. But specifically, there are four different groups of people that we need to look at. First, Your calling is wrapped up in serving the people who live in your household. Your calling is also wrapped up in serving your family of origin. That's right. Uh, Your calling is wrapped up in serving the community of faith that God has put you in. 
and your calling is wrapped up in serving the broader place and moment in which God has put you. So your calling is inevitably wrapped up with these people and places. First, your household. That is where your first responsibility is concerning God's dominion and glory. And that's whether you're married or not. That's whether you've got kids or not. It's whether you're retired or not. Calling always starts at home. Your home is to be the kingdom of God, and you are to reign over that place so that Christ is glorified there. But you also have a calling in your family of origin. Isaac, you just turned 18. I hate to break it to you, brother, but when, when God says, honor your father and mother, it doesn't stop when you turn 18. And that applies to all of you here. Just reminding our, our, our newly minted 18-year-old among us. The scriptures are very clear that children are to care for their parents in their old age, lest they be considered worse than an unbeliever. So you still have a calling in regard to your family of origin. Now, we just saw in Genesis 2 how Adam left his, uh, you know, a man is to leave his father and mother and to be knit together to his wife. So there is a break there, but we still do have some sense of calling to our family of origin. You also have a calling in regard to this church, your community of faith. We've seen Paul go to great lengths talking about how we need each other and the unique things that each of us bring to the table in the church. Have you considered how God has called you to serve in and with this church? Your calling is wrapped up with these people. I'm going to give a little uh, preview of our Sunday school training that's coming in a, in a few weeks. This church and its people are some of the most willing people I've ever met. When we say there's a need to work in children's ministry, when we say there's a need, we need some help with something in the office, there's a need mission-wise, so many of you are willing. We don't want willing people. We want called people. People who have a sense, God has called me to this people to this place, and he's given me these gifts, and I want to serve. It is a part of my calling as an image bearer to be here and to volunteer and to be a part. I love willing people, but what we need are called people, because you know what, what's true about called people? They're like a freight train. <laughs> you can't stop them from doing the work that God has called them to, and so what I really want you to be considering in the weeks and months ahead as we start to talk, especially about our new ideas for ministry, we don't want willing people. We want called people. So whether it's children's ministry or evangelistic ministry or prayer ministry or whatever it is we're unfolding over the next weeks, I want you to be saying, God, what do you want me to do as a part of this body? How have you called and gifted me? What are the gifts I've been given? And what are the needs that I see here in this body that I can plug into and really give myself to that work as an essential part of my calling? Remember, calling is not singular. It's multifaceted. And you have a part to play at FPC. And if you haven't found it yet, now's the time. Ask God to help you see how he has called you to be a part of what we're doing here. But then beyond the church, you live in St. Tammany Parish in 2022. Don't gripe about the year you live in. God chose you for this time. He put you here in this place at this time for his redemptive reasons. So you're in your neighborhood. You're in your specific workplace with your neighbors and your coworkers and your family and friends. You're in a certain place with certain people. So how can you embody God's dominion and his glory in this place and in this moment? 
We have to answer these two questions of dominion and glory with all these people and places in mind. And guess what? It's going to take time. It's going to take prayer. And you're going to need help along the way. You see, I know I do. I think probably we all want this question of calling to be very simple, very digestible and quick. Discover my calling and move on with my life. But it doesn't work that way. As it turns out, calling is not this singular permanent thing. There are all these different facets as God calls us to embody his dominion and glory in every area of life. So look at God. Look at your body. Look at your gifts. Look at the people and places among whom God has placed you. And with prayer, time, and help, you can discern your calling as an image bearer. You can know how God has especially equipped you to serve God and others by bringing his dominion and glory to bear in the world. Well, It feels like we could just wrap that sermon series up, put a nice little bow on it, but we're not done. My promise to you was in the first four weeks, we were going to lay a foundation. Uh, What does it mean that we're created in the image of God? What does it look to live that out? And then we're going to take all those principles, and the next four weeks, we're going to apply them to some difficult issues in our culture right now that I believe are a great opportunity actually to talk to people about the glory of God and Jesus. So in the next four weeks, we're going to talk about abortion, we're going to talk about worship, We're going to talk about gender, and we're going to talk about race. And so I invite you to be praying for me as I'm preparing for that. Pray for yourself as we we move into those conversations that ultimately it would lead to the spread of the glory of God in us and through us in the world in which we live. Let's pray. Oh, God, we put ourselves at your feet, and we ask that you would use us. Call us to embody your image everywhere that we go. Help us, and Lord, mercifully show us uh, what you would have us do. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.